This is Clutch Fans. And by the way, shout out to the Clutch Fans. You're listening to the Clutch Fans Podcast, an open conversation for Houston Rockets diehards. Houston Rockets unbeatable. I'm ready to get on Clutch Fans. Now, here's your host, the man who would have drafted Harold Miner over Robert Ory, Dave Hardesty. Welcome back. Um, I wish we were meeting under different circumstances. Uh, obviously, recent events haven't been kind to the Houston Rockets, but uh, we wanted to get this podcast going. And uh, as the first two podcasts, my, my guest today is David Weiner, Bema Thug from the board. Uh, David, welcome in. Thanks for having me again. Absolutely. Now, this is, uh, you know, not the best time right now to be a Houston Rocket fan after um, really what amounted to months of um, – you know, po- you know, posturing, negotiating, and and uh, it really looked like the Rockets were in a position to get Dwight Howard, and if not Dwight Howard, to get Andrew Bynum. It seemed like one or the other they were going to end up coming away with whenever that domino did fall, and it fell, and the Rockets weren't anywhere to be found. Yeah, it was a uh, disappointment is an understatement. Well, you know, what, what was your reaction, I think, you know, first off out of the gate to uh, really the Rockets not being involved in this deal? Well, um, when the, the rumors of the four-team deal surfaced earlier that day, you know, most of the national media was kind of writing it off as just preliminary talks. And, you know, I, I personally kind of wrote it off as something that, okay, that's nice leverage against the Rockets to try to get Daryl Morey to up his offer, but I didn't really take it seriously. And, and, uh, you know, I was out of pocket for several hours and, and I, I didn't catch up on anything till late, late that night after the trade had essentially been consummated. And I was just shocked. Uh, it, it, it just struck me as completely counterintuitive for the Orlando Magic. Um, even if, the Rockets were, were low-balling the Magic. I, I, I thought even a low-ball offer from the Rockets was a s- superior to what they were getting in, in the deal they made. Just it, I was confounded. You know, I, I think that's well said. I think this, I thought the same thing. I think even – and I think they were, by the way. I think they were – they did have an offer in that was lower, certainly lower than what everybody's reporting, I think. People are, are under the understanding that Lamb and Moti Yunus was were probably in there, the Toronto pick, a slew of other picks, um, and taking back bad, bad contracts, multiple bad contracts. I don't think that was the case, uh, and I don't know that for sure, but I think I can make a very educated guess on, on different things that uh, I've heard, and, and we can go through some of that. But I think my initial reaction was, what exactly were the Rockets offering uh, that the Magic turned down for this? Because... Uh, you know, it's it's probably not being reported enough, but but the Magic turned the Rockets down twice. I mean, not, first for Dwight Howard, uh, you know, they went with with uh, the Lakers move to get Bynum, um, and you know, take back a measly draft pick, um, and, and dump some salary on them. But I think at that point, it's it's just shocking to me that they wouldn't uh, make a deal with Houston for Bynum. 
you know, because I think they could have done multiple things there. Or they could have gotten, uh, you know, the young players, the, the best pick out of the deal in that Toronto Raptors uh, pick. Uh, it, it was shocking. And maybe the, a follow, maybe they valued him that much or they valued Harkless so much more than what the Rockets were offering. But I do think the Rockets, uh, you know, my, my personal theory is they were probably offering one of Royce White, um, and Terrence Jones, one of those guys, one of Marcus Morris and Patrick Patterson, uh, and then a host of picks and probably taking back one bad contract. I, I just don't think the Rockets were uh, shooting the moon here in order to get one of those players. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, that's likely what the offer was, although I think I'd heard that um, they may have been willing to take uh, more than one bad contract. I, you know, I think um, at least, if, it, you know, if we're to assume that Adrian Wojnarowski kind of has some some sort of in, inside knowledge um, that he's gleaned, that uh, the Rockets' offer was going to involve taking back more salary than Orlando managed to dump in this deal, which was – uh, Jason Richardson, Chris Duhon, and Earl Clark. So I can only take that to mean that the Rockets probably would have taken Richardson and possibly either Glenn Davis or, or you know, probably not Turkoglu just because of the, the salary cap math. But if they were willing to take back Richardson and Davis or Richardson, Duhon, and, and maybe some other salary you know, maybe instead of Josh McRoberts, for instance, coming back to Orlando, maybe the Rockets would, would absorb his contract somehow. You know, something like that that would involve less, less money that was not likely to be invested by Orlando into, um, into players that they want to build around. Uh, but, and I think that, you know, that might have been part of the trade-off for not in, including Jeremy Lamb or Donatus Motiunis. And maybe that's the case. Uh, I don't think, you know, in, in, in getting into that, I've heard from a couple of people that Lamb was not in there. Now, me believing that Motunis was not in there um, is really based on uh, my time at the Summer League, uh, speaking with, uh, I'll just say, people. And it, it was pretty much made clear at that time, this is probably July 12th, 13th, whenever the first uh, game was, you know, I had, I had actually asked, you know, when is Motunis eligible to be traded? And it was just made very clear, you don't have to worry about that. He's not getting traded. Who, who needs a seven-footer with skills? It's us. Um, now, I'm, wonder, I'm wondering if that changed at all. I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I think that's the likely case. I'm just wondering if uh, if that thinking at all changed once we uh, locked up Omar Ashik. And that's possible. I mean, things are always in flux. I mean, you know, what you offered, you know, a month ago is not maybe what you offered, you know, last week. So, you know, it could have changed, but I, I look at that and, and I really look at the whole situation. I think if you had taken, and, and I'm not really upset about it, to be honest, I'm more, I'm more upset about the Rockets consistently coming up with silver medals here. I think it's, it's almost embarrassing. Um, I think that they, to me, I, I liken it to like a, somebody coming out of college with a bachelor's degree and looking for a, a CEO position at a Fortune 500 company. I just, the teams or players just don't seem to want to play here, and I think the Rockets need to focus on uh, improving themselves, going through the draft, rebuilding, uh, to make themselves attractive to these superstar players. But basically, you know, if they make a move here for Howard or Bynum, they're going to be a playoff team. So not only are they tr- – they're probably going to be a playoff team. If Not only do they lose that lottery pick that they give to Toronto, they lose their own lottery pick, which right now looks – 
like it has the potential to be a very good pick. I mean, the opportunity cost when they make that move uh, is high. So they not only have to get that one player, they still have to have the assets to get a second player over the next year to really secure uh, whether it had been Howard or Bynum staying here in Houston. Um, and they didn't have those. If they offered everything that's, that was really being reported, and as you mentioned, taking back bad contracts, losing cap room as well, then I don't see what avenue they, they have uh, to get that second player, to get that second star here. Um, they won't have draft picks next year. They'll lose the Raptors pick and their own. Uh, that would go to Atlanta. Um, they, the cap room situation isn't as good. Um, and trades, you're really looking at, you know, guys like Terrence Jones or Royce White hoping to be able to flip those for, for a superstar player. I don't see that happening. So I, that's why I don't think the Rockets were offering everything. They knew that it didn't just begin and end uh, with Dwight Howard. No, no, that's a fair assessment. I, I, I agree. I think that um, yeah, you, you always have to be thinking – Two, three, four steps ahead, and, and as we all know by now, Daryl Moore is always working about ten steps ahead of everybody else. Um, and you know, it's quite possible that he just wasn't willing to pay the price that uh, Denver, Philly, and or and, and uh, L.A. collectively were were able to to do. And you know, I, I try to kind of look back at this whole trade, and you know, take my my. Rockets colored lenses off and, and look as objectively as possible. And, you know, I, I do know that, um, the, the Magic were, were seriously scouting, uh, Mo Harkless before the draft and they were really hoping he fell to 19. But of course he went 15 to Philly. Um, you know, it could be they viewed him as just a, a, a sky's the limit lottery pick talent. Um, same with, uh, Nikola Vukovic, um, you know, he was, he was pretty impressive as a rookie. I mean, didn't have a stellar year, but just really solid rookie year. And, you know, if you're, if, if you're seven feet tall and can walk and chew gum at the same time, you have value in this league. So, um, you know, those are two young players that they may have highly valued. And then, you know, as you mentioned, Aaron Aflalo being the, the key piece to the trade. I personally think he's a, he's a, a very good young player. But not a core piece to that you build around. I mean, I actually thought he, the contract he received from Denver was a little bit. I was surprised he got that much money. Um, you know, definitely a good player, but n- nothing that you know. I, I personally thought the Toronto pick was a more valuable asset than Aaron Aflalo, to be certain, and one that isn't going to take up eight million dollars of cap room every year. Yeah, I I didn't think a flaw was that. I mean, he's a, I think he's a solid player, a good player. I don't think he's that great. Twenty seven. I don't see a ton of upside in him. Obviously, Orlando loves him. I, uh, I you know, to me, it's it's a little bit shocking um, that that offer, uh, you know, that, that they went with that offer over what Houston was giving. You know, to rub a little bit of salt in our wound, I guess, uh, you know, the three key players that Orlando took in this deal, the Rockets narrowly passed on uh, in previous drafts, uh, you know, Daryl's stewardship. Basically, I think in 07, they took uh, Aaron Brooks, one pick ahead of a Flalo. Uh, 2011, they took Marcus Morris, two picks ahead of Vucevic. And then, um, you know, this past year, they took Lamb, three picks ahead of Harkless. Obviously, that's not a mistake. Uh, went one pick ahead of Royce White. 
Um, but it, it is, it, it struck me as interesting that all three of those players were basically selected right after, um, Rockets picks. <laughs> but, you know, I think it's just, again, I, as a fan, uh, someone who's going to be here a, a, a while, you're the same way, diehard fan. I, I personally feel this is the, the, the right approach. I want to see this team rebuild. I think there's exciting young talent available in the next couple of years. Um, but it's just shocking to me because they made so many bold moves this summer um, that seemed to be designed for nothing other than making this move right here. Um, and, you know, with the so many power forwards, so many bigs that they have, young guys, um, just collecting picks like crazy, uh, signing trade deals for guys that they were going to lose uh, just to get picks taking on even a couple of contracts here and there, Tony Douglas, uh, Juwan Johnson. So to me, it's just shocking that they didn't pull the trigger here, um, that something didn't happen. Obviously, listening to Daryl Morey, um, you know, he was on Sports Talk 790, a very good interview. He, he did sound disappointed that it didn't happen, but it sounded as well like they were in communication the whole time. Um, they knew this was going to go down, and they probably, uh, and again, I'm, he didn't say this, but they probably had the chance to increase their offer and make it and make it happen, and and they held firm. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering if um, they were given that opportunity. I would hope that they were, and that may frustrate some fans. Though I'll you, they were given one last chance, and they still didn't make it happen. Why not? Uh, but uh, I I would be most disappointed if um, if Orlando never went back. To the Rockets to, to increase the offer, which um, you know, it's rather disappointing because this move struck me as one from Orlando's perspective that was not driven by basketball decision makers. I mean, it, it really this did not sm- this did not strike me as a Rob Hennigan move. If there is such a thing yet, he's only thirty years old and has been a GM for a month. Um, it, you know, taking less than. The, the absolute best offer, uh, you, you know, I think Wojnarowski again and a couple of other uh, national media journalists um, speculated that this was a uh, an Alex Martin's move, the, the CEO, the president of the Magic, who is not the head of their basketball operations, um, pulling the strings here and not Rob Hennigan. And that may be the case. And I think are you talking about specifically Howard going to L.A., correct? Yes, you know both, I, both, both, both Howard going to L.A. and what they accepted in return for him. So you know, like you were saying, you know, not even Bynum going to the Rockets and with the Rockets' assets going to Orlando, rather choosing Denver and Philly's assets. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see that being the case. Him getting involved uh, personally, as far as Howard's concerned, whether it be L.A. I mean, I I really think just before the summer league happened that. That that Dwight Howard to Houston trade was about to go down. I, you know, you could feel it the way things were shaping up. They were uh, proceeding with the Scola amnesty. Uh, just the way things were unfolding, it really seemed like things were going to happen right then. I think that you could make a case um, that probably this became more of an agent, uh, player, executive, making things happen for the player, stepping in and. Um, you know, kind of throwing logic out, but I don't think it it could possibly explain why they would take that Philly Denver package over over Houston's for Bynum. I mean, obviously they they got Bynum. Both you know the top two centers in the league went through Orlando. They decided where both of them went. 
Um, and, and they still went with that offer over Houston. So I think that they liked, um, what they got better than what Houston was offering. And I think, uh, Hennigan, he was, you know, in his press conference, he was respectful and, and didn't say much, but I think he two or three times implied pretty clearly that what was being reported that Houston's offer was, wasn't what Houston's offer actually was. So I think it was probably something comparable. Um, I think the best pick, I think Toronto pick had to be in there. The best pick was clearly in the Houston package, but I think that they probably looked at a flawless and Harkless and said, we like that better than Martin and Jones. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, we're so quick to dismiss that, that our opinion may not be fact. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's quite possible in their mind that really was the best offer. I just, I, I would think that, uh, that most people would disagree with them though. Right. You know, and again, for me, it's, it's not as much disappointment as, uh, in not getting those guys as it is seeing that the Houston Rockets are this, uh, Atlanta Hawksian, um, type franchise that, that superstar players don't want to play here. It's just a foreign concept to me. I mean, we've always been an attractive franchise. I mean, when you can't even get Derek Fisher to come play here, you've got issues. <laughs> and I think you've got to, you've got to take a step back and say, Hey, we're beating our head against the wall here. Um, you know, we can't keep going after Chris Bosch, Carmelo Anthony. Yeah. I mean, it's sound business. You got to at least try, I guess, but I mean, it seems like they need to know their lot in life right now. And that's to rebuild. I'm crossing my fingers. That's what they're actually going to do. Um, but, uh, I, I do have my concerns. And, and, you know, I, I think right now, probably not being looked at enough as well, as well as what Kevin McHale, uh, is thinking right now. I mean, I, this is a guy who was hired a year ago. Um, very, you know, obviously hired to win now. I mean, right out of the gate, he's like, our goal is to make the playoffs unquestioned. Uh, not something I was thrilled with at the time, but that he came in with that uh, direction. Um, thought he was getting Nene Gasol, um, was going to have a strong front court. He ended up going through a year which was a little bit tougher. They, they fall short of the playoffs. And now he's going to have a significantly younger team, significantly less experienced. Um, didn't get his big man, fell short again, um, you know, here in this Howard and Bynum uh, approach. I just, I mean, again, this is speculation, but I just can't see him. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm not sure he's going to even finish the year. I know he's got a three-year contract, but I've just got this vibe that uh, Kevin McHale, you know, unless things change drastically, will not be, uh, will not finish out his three-year deal here. Um, I'm, I'm a little more optimistic than you, Dave. Uh, I, I agree with you that this is probably not what. Kevin McHale thought he signed up for, and I wouldn't blame him for being um, upset right now with the, the the turn of events for the Rockets. But I think at the end of the day, he's gonna, you know, take his vacation, let off some steam, and then suck it up and do the best job he can um, next season. And then we'll see where we go from there. And I I would think he would have to completely melt down for. The Rockets to basically eat two years of his contract to fire him. I mean, not not that not that they would they would let money dictate that decision, but I I think they're all big boys. I I, I think uh, I think Kevin McHale will suck it up and do what's best for the team. What do you think this team does here? Uh, I mean, there's a little over six weeks now left before training camp starts. 
what do you think this team does? I mean, obviously you've got, um, you know, 21, 22 guys right now. A lot of them are, are not guaranteed. So you'll probably start seeing some, some, uh, wavings here unless, uh, you know, they can come up with a deal. But what do they do here? I mean, my concern, I mentioned before, as far as team direction is that they make some sort of a, a short term gain move that they kind of stray, stray from the plan. Um, and you know, whether that's an Al Jefferson or Josh Smith type, that, that legitimately concerns me. But I think they've got 13 guys that they probably have to play under contract. And then they've got, uh, you know, about eight more. Um, that are, you know, Sean Livingston, Sean Williams, John Brockman, Josh Harrelson, those kind of guys, uh, that either get waived or, or, um, you know, flipped in some other type of deal. What do you think this team needs to do, uh, in the next six weeks here? Um, I think that they'll want to explore a couple other minor, minor deals probably. Uh, I'm with you. I, I, I think, um, you know, doing a, you know, making a trade for another, you know, maybe Kevin Martin level talent. That's gonna help you be mediocre again next year is probably not in the franchise's best interest. Um, you know, the, I think they really are gonna make a commitment to playing the young guys. Um, you know, they may want to move one or two of the young guys, um, either for for maybe a, a slightly better player, not you know, not some veteran who's not really gonna help them long term, but um, you know, maybe future picks, something like that. Because one of my fears is that. You have so many talented young players playing the same position and you're, you're not going to be able to play them all minutes. So, you know, I have some, you know, I have some fears on, on that, in that respect. But for the most part, I think that they're not going to be any major trades. Um, you know, just some, some, you know, one, maybe two deals to try to round out the roster. If, if any, um, I think they'll go into the season with cap room. I think right now, if they, just wave the non-guaranteed guys. They're looking at somewhere around $7 million in cap room once they enter the season. Uh, combine that with Sean Livingston's contract. If they, if they choose to keep Sean Livingston, he's $3.5 million, only $1 million is guaranteed. I don't think he has a guarantee date on there, so they could get all the way into December before uh, they owe him more than a $1 million. Um, and they could they could use him as a, as a trade asset in season. Um and, and hopefully they use their, their cap room judiciously, kind of like the Oklahoma City Thunder did a few years ago. Um, be willing to take on another team's bad expiring contract uh, plus a, a first-round pick, something like that. Just accumulate more future picks with their cap room rather than spending it on a player who's not going to make them an instant contender and, if anything, hurt their draft position. Yeah, cap room definitely seems to be the currency now. Uh, you know, I, as a matter of fact, I think this is probably an underreported positive for the Orlando Magic in that deal is them getting that $17 million, I believe, uh, trade exception. Um, you know, with, with some of the bad contracts they took on there, I could see the Magic um, looking to take on a bad contract over the next year or two for an unprotected uh, draft pick. Um, you know, and I think Houston, as you highlighted there with the $7 million number, could try to do the same. I mean, you know, I talked with people at um, Vegas Summer League about why would you amnesty Luis Scola before you know that you have a, a Dwight Howard deal in place. Um, and it was explained very, uh, very well. I thought it was, you know, it was basically he said, hey, the same thing you said about uh, Kyle Lowry, that, you know, 
flipping him for that lottery pick has more teams interested than just in Kyle Lowry, the player. Same thing applies here with Scola, that really there was one, two, or zero, as it was <laughs> communicated to me, teams interested in Scola with that contract. But once amnestied in the cap room that you gained, you've got 20 to 25 teams interested in, in working with you because of that cap room. So I think you're right. I, you know, Having that type of cap room is – I think going to be beneficial for the Rockets going forward. I'm hopeful that they don't use it for some type of short-term gain move and instead look to take on somebody who's a, you know, a painful contract in exchange for for a, uh, you know, unprotected pick or a, a very good draft pick. But I think uh, Gary Forbes, Jawan Johnson, those two guys um, kind of jump out to me as as players that they would probably hope to flip. Whether it's for, I mean, move here for whether. Uh, you know, it's for a draft pick or some other type of player. But clearly, they've got to make two-for-one, three-for-one type of moves. Um, they've got a lot of young players here. I think their backup point guard situation is a little shaky. Backup center is a little shaky unless you, uh, you know, think Moti Unis and Jones can handle but, uh, minutes there. Um, you know, I, I think they've got to make some moves here. I'm sure, I'm sure they will because right now they have been held up by this Dwight Howard stuff. I mean, Kevin Martin is on this roster, has been on this roster, haven't even entertained other things because they had to wait till Dwight Howard domino fell. So, you know, I don't know if they'll move him now. I think your, your feeling all along was that they would wait till the trade deadline. I didn't believe in that, but I do think now it's um, certainly possible. But uh, I do think he burned his bridges here in Houston, similar to how Kyle Lowry did. I don't think he's, uh, you know, February is, is the limit for Kevin Martin in Houston, in my view. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they'll definitely look to try, you know, like you said, some two-for-ones, three-for-twos uh, type of consolidating trades. But, again, you know, the beauty of of kind of having their current cap situation and the the fact that most of these guys that don't factor into their future happen to be, small expiring contracts worst case scenario they have to just waive one or two of these guys it's not going to kill their cap at all it's just going to cut a little bit into their cap room i mean it doesn't cut into that seven million dollar figure i said because that factors their 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 contracts already being on the books it you know obviously be nice to have an extra couple million but um at the end of the day if it's in the best interest of the team to to just waive some players and eat a little bit of salary they're in a position where they can do that and still have cap room available to, to, to use as an asset in trades. Yeah. So I, yeah, I think we'll see, we'll start seeing some moves here soon. Um, you know, we may wait, to, it may get closer to training camp for things to happen. Teams actually to, to, uh, reassess their roster and see what they need. But, um, you know, I, I, if they're sticking to the rebuild, I like where they are. I, it's not all doom and gloom for me. I do like where they are. It's going to be a painful season. I think there's some actually some members of the board that I respect that think this team's better than last year's team. It's not. It, I, I, this team's way too inexperienced, in my view, um, to be a playoff team. And L.A. and Denver just absolutely, in my opinion, established themselves as playoff teams. L.A. probably already was, of course, but... Um, you know, Denver, I don't think it's really a bubble team now. I think they're, they're in. Um, and I just think it's, I don't think they have a realistic chance. I think this is a team that's probably going to lose, uh, you know, 50 some odd games in my view. Um, 
you know, we haven't really talked as well since really summer league and, and, uh, the Jeremy Lin signings on Mirashik. We, we did get to talk about a little bit before, but, um, you know, what was your view on how that whole went, all that went down? Uh, you know, Goran Dragic walked away, Jeremy Lin and the Rockets, surprisingly, the Knicks did not match. The Rockets came in with Jeremy Lin. What was your view on that? Um, I mean, the whole, the whole point guard turn, turnover on the roster, um, you know, I, let's just say I think Daryl Morey made a couple moves I would not have had the cojones to make. Um, you know, trading Lowry for a draft pick even. I'm a, I've always been a real big Lowry fan. Um, you know, I understand, you know, number one, you know, like you said, the market for the draft pick is a lot bigger than the market for Kyle Lowry, if, you know, presupposing you're trading him, which, you know, if, if, if what, what you're talking about, about his relationship with the franchise being frayed is true, then, then that was inevitable. So, so, you know, that move is understandable. Um, I think there are a lot of Rockets fans upset about Goran Dragic leaving, um, you know, over what amounted to, uh, the Rockets unwillingness to give him a player option on his fourth year. Um, you know, which I will say is, is a, is a, a gutsy, but may prove to be a, a, a very meritorious reason for them not to. It's a losing proposition. A player option by definition is a losing proposition. You, the, the player either underperforms his contract and inevitably exercises his option, uh, in which case you're guaranteed to overpay that player, uh, or he outperforms his contract, in which case he doesn't, he, he doesn't exercise the option, leaves, and you either lose him later at that point for nothing, or you then have to chase him again and overpay him once again. So, you know, I can understand philosophically speaking, player options being just a lose-lose proposition for the team. So while, you know, if I were the GM, maybe I would not be brave enough to let that be the, the straw that broke the camel's back. But uh, I can certainly understand and, and give the Rockets management some credit for, for how, drawing the line there. And now Jeremy Lin, um, I was, you know, and I've told you many times before, I was absolutely shocked, just like Daryl Morey said, um, even after the reports were all in that the Knicks were not going to match until 11 p.m. on the deadline came and went, I was still, I was 95% sure the Knicks were matching. So I was shocked they didn't. Um, and, you know, Jeremy Lin is not as good, in my opinion, as Goran Dragic. Right. I think he's close. I think he's close. I think mm-hmm. um, given the opportunity, um, he could grow to be as good, potentially better than Goran Dragic. I think Dragic is probably the, the long-term, I think Dragic is the slightly better player. But um, you're getting Lynn, even though your your cap hit on Lynn is a little bit more than, than Dragic's, um, I think you're getting a Lynn on a more favorable contract long-term than you are with, with Dragic because of the player option. Um, and I also think, you know, let's face it, you are getting – um, kind of what I'll, I'll refer to as an artificial star in Lynn. I think Jeremy Lynn himself will tell you he is not a superstar. Um, and I don't think the Rockets believe on the court he is a superstar, but it gives a starless team a face of the franchise, franchise and someone around whom they can market the team. 
I'd agree with that. I like the artificial star. I think that actually makes sense to me. I mean, that's that's how I view it as well. I mean, you've got a face to the team, which is great. I mean, the last few years, the face of the team has been Daryl Morey, and that's probably never a good sign from a marketing standpoint that the GM is your your biggest star. But, um, you know, now people are going to look at this as Jeremy Lin and the Houston Rockets. i got to confess and be honest that uh, I didn't like this move at all initially. Um, you know, I think this team has been all about value. Um, you know, Daryl. I mean, we just saw this with the Orlando trade offer. They've got they they've got it down to the nickel what they're willing to offer, and that's in in everything that they do. Um, and this kind of went out the window, in my opinion, for for Jeremy Lin. I think that they really uh, you know threw a lot of money at him um, to get him back. They might have been in a little bit of a, a desperate situation. I think the marketing angle was huge. Um, but, uh, you know, I think he's a good player. I do think Goran Dragic is a much better player. Um, you know, I think he's a better finisher, better shooter. And I was really looking at this like, hey, we're still positioning ourselves for Dwight Howard. I'd rather have a guy who's a better shooter, uh, a guy who can attack the basket, um, in my opinion, better in, in Goran Dragic, a better defender. Um, but, you know, looking at this now um, and, and saying, okay, we are rebuilding, again, knock on wood that that's the case, um, Really, who cares? I mean, even even the the amount of money that you threw at him and Omar Ashik, um, it, why does it matter? If if we could commit, I don't know if they would this this long. I actually doubt it. I don't. I, I think a year tops is what they'll do. But um, you know, if they could commit to the 2014 draft, which is two years away, uh, the next two drafts look very good as far as a top, uh, you know, top heavy. And the 2014 draft has the potential. Uh, if Andrew Wiggins, um, you know, finishes school a little early and, and becomes eligible for that draft with Jabari Parker as well, has the potential to be outstanding. Um, you know, then you're going into, into the 2014-15 season, two big expiring contracts in Oshik and, and Lynn. Um, you know, you're, you're still remaining flexible. I, the, the amount of money that they threw at those guys doesn't bother me. They're both young. Um, and, you know, Lynn's got upside. He's he's young, 23 years old. He's at least a big for the position. He's a smart guy. I just don't see him as being a, a superstar player. He, I know he had some great games in the short, um, you know, sample size that we saw. Um, so it's hard to gauge exactly what you know what he's actually going to end up being. But uh, I just don't see him as being worth that contract. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a it's a fair criticism. I I would say that given um, given the nature of Jeremy Lin and Omer Ashik being that rare two year veteran who's not a first round pick and is worthy of the Gilbert Arenas rule application in the sense that teams are willing to offer them more than five million dollars for a starting salary. Um, in order to get them at all, this is basically the contract you had to give them. It was, it was. Agree, agree. Offer them a penny less, and you know, pretty much, it's your your chances of getting them drop to zero. I would agree with that. I mean, obviously, they had to overpay to get a restricted free agent. Uh, definitely recognize that, but again, whether you you know you. That doesn't really make decide whether you should actually do it. And as far as the Goran Dragic, the, the four-year deal, you know, I agree with you to an extent. I, I, I think, um, I think from a planning standpoint, Daryl doesn't like uh, the player option because he can't count on whether he's going to have cap room, whether he's going to be on the books, not on the books. 
But I, I just look at it. I just couldn't agree with what they were doing uh, with Gorin because, it, to me, at a worst-case scenario, it's a four-year guaranteed deal. I mean, it's, it's like looking at Jeremy Lin's deal and saying, you know, if he had a two-year deal at $5 million each and then the third year on $15 million was a player option, how is that different than what the Rockets gave other than the fact that Lin um, controls, you know, how that's going to impact the Rockets' cap? Uh, it's the same – in a worst-case scenario, it's the same thing as what they gave him. So – uh, to me, that, that's why I didn't necessarily agree with um, the Dragic move. But, you know, looking at it now, knowing that this team, at least for this next season, doesn't have championship aspirations, uh, you know, and, and heavens, look at what happened to the Lakers. Um, you know, I mean, the Miami Heat, have they have the bar, right, of what the Rockets had to get to, and it was so out there, I mean, astronomical, how far the Rockets had to go to get there. And now the Lakers may have actually raised that bar. So, at least for the short term. So, uh, you know, to me, the Rockets aren't any kind of contending team in the next year, but at least two in my view. Um, so it doesn't really matter whether they had Goran or, or, uh, Jeremy Lin. Yeah. And, and, you know, you know, to touch on the, the whole kind of artificial star point on Jeremy Lin again, that, you know, the fact of the matter is he's a, he's a very good young player. You know, all reports are he's just a, a, un- a uniquely good person uh, and someone that's going to be easy f- to be uh, universally loved by the fan base. Sure. There's no reason not to love this kid, um, you know, other than maybe he's not as good as Goran Dragic right now. Um, but I think the fact that he's easy to root for, um, he is a good player, um, and he's a very good pick and roll point guard, which is an aspect of the offense that Kevin McHale heavily stresses. He's going to put up numbers. And, you know, this is the cynic in me talking now, but if Jeremy Lynn, hyper marketable player, is putting up good numbers, he will stay relevant in the national scene versus if he just put up terrible numbers and people just stop talking about him. He'll put up numbers. People will keep talking about him. He will keep the Rockets on the map in the national media. And as sad as it is to say, players, star players, are more interested in playing with another player who the national media care about than maybe a slightly better player who no one knows about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he will put up numbers. This is a, this is going to be a bad team. He's going to get lots of minutes. He's going to get lots of. Uh, I mean, the ball's going to be in his hands. But um, you know, and I, and I think some people will look at those numbers as as justification. I, you know, I look at it like, hey, a few years ago, Aaron Brooks, uh, you know, put up twenty and six, and uh, he just signed for three million dollars. So uh, to me, it's a little bit different. But you know, you're right. I, I don't. I'm not going to dismiss and say I know for sure what Jeremy Lin's going to be. I don't. Uh, you know, I, I just look at it like it, it just didn't look like a great roll of the dice, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But, again, given where they are right now and if they are committed to a rebuild, um, you know, this may end up proving to be the better move. I mean, he does have – he's a very smart guy. He's, as you said, quick, very good in the pick and roll. Um, you know, he can get to the basket. Not, not the best shooter. I'd like to see him improve there. But, uh, you know, I, I think there's – uh, certainly some positives. And, you know, I think a lot of people look at Omer Oshik as being the one that was the most overpaid. I, I look at it, uh, to me, that's that's not how I view it. Um, I think Oshik, because of his size and defensive ability, if he can translate to a 30-minute-a-night uh, guy, you know, that, and that's 
that's a big if. I mean, we just don't know, given that he's played around 13, 14 minutes a night. Um, if he can, his value stands to to uh, go up big. I mean, very big. Uh, you know, look at a guy like Tyson Chandler. Um, you know, a few years ago, the Rockets were trying to get him, and uh, I mean, the price for him was just paltry. I mean, you know, it really didn't cost much to get him from the Bobcats. Um, and now he comes in, proves he can be healthy, proves he can, um, you know, with, with what he did in Dallas, prove that he could, uh, you know, be a defensive anchor on a very good team. And his, you know, he got a max level deal. I mean, his, his value became enormous. So I think the same thing can happen to Omar Ashik. I, I don't worry about his trade value, assuming that he can, that his 14 minute a game numbers can translate to 30 minutes a night. Right. And, and, and I think the Rockets, at least, going into free agency felt very strongly about it. It, it. He's a gamble to be certain, but I think he's a gamble worth taking. Um, just remember that um, the Jer- Jeremy Lin initially agreed to a four-year deal with the Rockets that the Knicks felt comfortable matching. Um, it team wasn't option, until, right? Cor- cor- uh, yeah, either team option or partial guarantee on the fourth year. Um, not a player option. Um, <laughs> right. And... Uh, it wasn't until I think Les Alexander and, and Daryl Morey made the decision they want to restructure it so that the Knicks maybe don't match that they they gave him this three year basically it, it really is a three year max deal for a Gilbert Arenas free agent. Um, but in in the case of Ashik, they offered him that deal on day one of free agency, so they were supremely confident that. Omar Ashik could be a high-quality starting center in the NBA, and they wanted him badly enough to offer him the maximum amount of money they could on a three-year deal. And then you briefly touched on it, saying that you know they're they're hoping he can translate his you know 14-minute per game numbers into 30-plus minutes per game. Um, if he can, and you know I, I think he's at least capable of playing in the high 20s uh, per game. You know, hopefully more than that. Um, He's an elite defender, and you know, I was talking with a friend about this earlier. People talk about um, offensive versatility. Um, oh, he's a great shooter. He's a poor shooter. He's a good passer. He's a terrible passer. He, you know, he can run the pick and roll. He can't do. He can't run the pick and roll. He's an offensive rebounder. It, there's so many different aspects of offense that are commonly spoken about, and then they just say, "Oh, he's a good defender," or "He's a bad defender." There really is a lot more to defense than good or bad. There's defensive versatility, and I think what Omer Ashik gives you is a center who is not only a good defender, but is a good versatile defender. He can defend the pick and roll. He shows on the pick and roll. Um, he can recover and get back to his man. He can def- he can protect the rim, block shots at the rim. He can go out on shooters and block shots on the shooter or get a hand in the face of the shooter. He covers a lot of distances with his length. I mean, he basically is, on the defensive end, everything fans wished Chuck Hayes could have been. He's got another six, seven inches on Chuck Hayes. And, and I mean, he's basically, you know, not, not the same player on defense, but is similar in the sense that he is a versatile defender and can really help the Rockets more than just shot blocking or defensive rebounding. I mean, he really provides so many positives and benefits on the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, offensively, you know, he's 
a work in a work in progress. You know, there's there's I don't even think the Rockets are going to make any uh, proclamations about his uh, offensive production. Um, he but he'll get you offensive rebounds. He's a very good offensive rebounder. He can get his points on putback dunks. Um, his hands are not great. If uh, if he catches the ball, he'll flush it down. Uh, something we wish a lot of Rockets post players have been doing would have done in years past. Um, but there's going to be that pass that that he'll have a little bit of the Kelvin Cato itis where the ball's going to slip right through his hands right. and scratch your head. But I think overall he's he's a net positive for the Rockets and 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 you know especially on defense. I'm going to be very excited to watch the Rockets play defense with him on the floor. Well, you know, I, uh, I was reading up some stuff on, um, him from the past and, and Tom Thibodeau, coach of the Bulls, really raves about how well he sets picks and screens. Just says he's, uh, just phenomenal at that part of the game. And when you consider that Jeremy Lin, his strength is pick and roll, <clears throat> I, I certainly think Oshik, um, will be able to start that very effectively. But, you know, I think as you pointed out, it's not exactly the guy you want on the roll. I mean, he's not, uh, hmm. You know, his hands are not very good off, you know, offensively receiving the ball. Um, he's very disruptive defensively. I think people will see that. I think there's so much untapped um, value there because of that, because he's been behind a guy who's one of the best as well in, in Joakim Noah. So, um, you know, I, I liked that move. I do think it's, you know, it's risky. There are, there's, that's some, some big money if he doesn't pan out. I mean, that's, uh, but, you know, a lot of dollars, but it's a short-term deal because they've needed a center. Um, he, you know, he's young. He's a guy who really will come in and be disruptive for McHale. So uh, I think that was a good move. Yeah, I mean, uh, free agent centers who possess above-average NBA talent are going to get overpaid by definition. And, you know, I'll be quite honest. I know there are a lot of people on the on, on Clutch Fans who might disagree with me, but in a summer when Brooke Lopez and Roy Hibbert are getting long-term max contracts, I'm perfectly fine giving Omar Oshik $8.3 million a year for three years. Yeah, very good point. I think Hibbert is a, is a decent comparison. Um, I mean, I think Hibbert's a better player, but I um, certainly. But I, I, I do think Oshik, from a defensive standpoint, can have the same type of impact. Um, and uh, Brooke Lopez, yeah, I'm not even going to comment on that one, but um, – <laughs> Uh, I'm not a fan of his game at all. I mean, he's a total offensive player. And by the way, I just want to go on the record as saying I do not think the Rockets will be as quite as bad next year as you do, Dave. Um, <laughs> I do not think they will be as good as last year's team. However, I don't know if they're a 50-plus loss team. Yeah, and I just threw that number out there. I, I just think that they're going to be – you know, I think maybe guys like Luis Scola, um, Kyle Lowry – you know, Kevin Martin, I think you've had, um, you know, Courtney Lee. Those guys maybe didn't get enough credit. I mean, I think we've, the last three years, been 500 or slightly better. And I think, you know, maybe it's given the impression to fans that, that, uh, that's just par for the course, that that's just, uh, you know, almost easy to do. And I think when you're going to throw in a bunch of rookies, which is what you're doing, you've, you've got a, a new starting center. You've got Jeremy Lin now. I mean, really, is is pretty inexperienced. He, I mean, you have to tip your hat to him for what he's able to do under the media spotlight in New York, but still an inexperienced point guard. Um, and you've got a lot of rookies here that are going to see time. Chandler Parsons is a second-year player. 
these are young guys. I mean, they're, they're good players. Um, some of them have very good upside. I just don't think that in this first year, um, with especially given how strong this conference is as far as depth wise, I don't see the Rockets, um, even threatening for the playoffs. How many times do they play Orlando? <laughs> well, okay. Let's chalk up two only wins. two. Okay, yeah, I'm sorry. There's, there's yeah. two wins there. Okay, but um, as far as looking at this team, let's just look at the uh, Western Conference in general. I mean, I'm just going to assume right out of the gate, without having to ask, that San Antonio, Oklahoma City, L.A. Lakers, uh, Memphis, Clippers, Denver, those six teams you're going to put ahead of the Rockets and. I'm going to throw in Minnesota as well. That's seven. Would you say that's a fair assessment? Yeah, that's fair. Okay. So then that takes, that, that leaves you, you know, you the eighth spot. Um, so let's, let's go down the list. Utah. I'd say they're better. Dallas. Better. Phoenix. For next year, better. Okay. Uh, how about Portland? I think they're in the same boat as the Rockets. I think they're they're right on the same level, so it could go either way. Um, Golden State? With a healthy Bogut, I'd put them in the playoffs. If Bogut misses significant time again, they could be in the same boat as the Rockets. They could be even worse than the Rockets. That said, I, I would probably likely put them ahead, but uh, without a healthy Bogut, probably same as Portland and Houston. We'll be interested to see what Harrison Barnes does there. Uh, Sacramento? below us and new orleans um that's a tough one i think if they're going to play commit to playing anthony davis major minutes um you know he'll have a learning curve playing in the nba um they may be on the same level as us but uh you know depending on how a couple things shake out we could we could have a better record yeah, it's interesting. I only put Sacramento and New Orleans below the Rockets. I think uh, Golden State, Portland, I, I put all those teams ahead of Houston this year. Um, and, again, maybe I'm not giving, um, you know, my favorite team enough credit, but I just think there's so much youth there, so much change. But I think the Rockets could be a bottom five, bottom six team in the league. I mean, it's not out of the not out of the question that they will. I, I think I'm – I guess in your mind, I would be more pessimistic about that and think that they would finish with a better record and maybe somewhere around not than you know the number nine pick if they didn't win the lottery, um, which makes me less optimistic of a you know a num- winning the lottery and getting a number one pick than you are. Well, I just you know I look at it like hey you've got now a defensive anchor Omer Ashik and, and you know you talked about him uh, you know Jason Freeman did a great piece on uh, Ashik uh, you should check it out at Rockets.com with some uh, uh, you know video highlights really talks about how great a defensive player he'll be but you know you look at the backcourt and your your three best players Jeremy Lin uh, Kevin Martin Jeremy Lamb not a single defensive stalwart in the bunch. Um, you know, I think Oshik's going to be busy. I don't really know if this team's going to be a defensive team. Uh, obviously with McHale, you would think that would be the focus. Um, but, uh, you know, they have the ability to score, but, you know, from the backcourt, I just don't see this team, uh, having one elite skill to hang their hat on. So it's a young team. I just think it's going to take some time and I'm fine with that. But, um, that's, that's kind of where I, why I assess them to be, you know, down at the bottom part of the Western Conference. Yeah, and I'll, I'll say this. I'm sure we can both agree on this. They're going to be fun to watch, though. 
Oh, of that, there's no doubt. I mean, I'll be tuning into every game. I'll be at every home game. Um, you know, I'm, I actually look forward to this. I know, I know the casual fan loses interest generally when a team rebuilds. I mean, you look at the Astros and that's, uh, you know, clearly the case. But, uh, for me in the NBA, I mean, you've got, when you've got guys that you're grooming, young players, uh, it's an exciting thing. I mean, you, there's, these guys are going to get better. There's a lot of upside in some of these young players, which is, to me is unlike, um, the type of young players that they've had in the past, the last few years. Um, those are guys with, I think, limited ceilings. I think the Rockets have a couple of players now that, uh, have very high ceilings. So I'm looking forward to it. But I mean, I just, again, it's not a knock on those guys. I just think that rookies, um, you know, going into the NBA, there's a, there's a learning curve that's fairly significant. And I just don't see a, any kind of veteran anchor on this team or veteran leadership. Um, you know, I, I like the guys. I like Jeremy Lin as far. I'm excited to see him play. Um, uh, you know, there's really, I don't think there's anybody on this team that I'm not excited to play, save maybe for Kevin Martin. I'd like to see something happen there, but, uh, you know, I'm excited to see all these guys, all these young guys come together and, uh, and watch them grow. I just don't, I think it's being realistic. I don't see this team, you know, we'll, when we get down to the training camp, I think we'll have a, a better idea for a prediction, but I just don't right now don't envision this team uh, threatening at all for the playoffs. No, I, I agree. I, I don't think they're a legitimate playoff threat. I think, you know, their ceiling may be in, uh, first of all, I hope we're, I hope this podcast is bulletin board material for the Rockets and they just go and run and, and they go and they storm into the playoffs and say, I told you Dave Hardesty and David Wiener, we were going to, you know, we're, we're going to outperform what you're, what you thought of it. But, uh, I think um, you're crazy. I hope that, yeah, exactly. I hope they do not do that. Um, no, no, we need that. that, that that's, a, <laughs> that's what I hope. Um, not saying that's what it's going to happen, but I, you know, I, I think this team falls, you know, falls somewhere in the middle of the pack of non-playoff Western Conference teams. Um, but I, you know what? I, I will take the counterpoint on one issue. I actually am looking forward to Kevin Martin next year. Now, they may, if they can find a, a you know, a situation that, you know, for, that's good for him, good for the Rockets, can get value for him. I'm all for that. I don't think he's necessarily part of the long-term plans. But I really think on a team, like you said, with so many young, inexperienced players, he really can be a calming influence, and he's going to be a guy who can he can score points in bunches. I think he could serve, he could serve as a good example um, for Jeremy Lamb as what how to be a professional because, you know, there, there's definitely room for criticism of Kevin Martin, but one thing you can't criticize is his – Work ethic in in practice and uh, you know in the off season you know David Thorpe uh, you know Coach Thorpe for ESPN is, trains him um, says he's one of the hardest working guys in the off season he's ever seen um, those types of things you know you, you don't have Louis Scola around to, to to show guys how it's done and I'm hoping that Kevin Martin can provide at least a little bit of that combined with the fact that he's a legitimate you know, top level scorer in the NBA when healthy. I really think he does add value to even a team where all the fans want to see Jeremy Lamb play, but I think it's good for Jeremy Lamb's good for the Rockets to have Kevin Martin on this team. If we're not going to have a superstar. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, we know that they tried to move him obviously for the Dwight Howard uh, deal. I mean, no secret there, not a secret to him, not a secret to the team or anyone else around him. 
Um, but we don't know, uh, you know, what's going to end up happening here now that that's off the table. Um, you know, I, I think that they would personally have the way, everything that I've heard, I think that they do want to move him, but it's not like they're just going to dump him. I mean, he is that piece that, you know, given his salary, it, it, the short-term nature of his deal, it ends after this next season. Um, it probably does make sense if nothing comes up in the next six weeks um, for them to, to wait until the trade deadline to see what surfaces, you know, whether, hey, it doesn't work out in Philly with Andrew Bynum, you know, just as an example, um, you know, or, or some other player just it, it doesn't work out. Kevin Martin provides that that uh, salary piece that gets that gets them there. So. I think you're probably right. They're probably going to hold on to him. Um, just, you know, for me, I just don't, not super excited to see him play because I kind of, he's a known commodity. I know what we, what to expect from him. Uh, and, you know, he, he, I know he's not long here for the Rockets. Well, hey, I know we've talked a bunch, but, um, you know, it's always great catching up with you, David. I appreciate you doing this as always. Um, it's, you know, I, I always end up picking up something. I, I appreciate that $7 million cap room number. I think that gives us an idea right now of what the Rockets will have as far as a flexibility standpoint, what they can, uh, can do as far as trades going into this year. But, um, you know, always a pleasure to have you on. Thanks for coming. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me again. Today.